Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we're confident that because we come in that name that you're hearing our hearts and our prayers right now. And Father, we don't understand everything that's going on, but we know you do. We know that there's nothing happening in the world right now that's beyond your ability, that's beyond your, that's beyond your understanding, that's beyond your planning. And we turn to you, first of all, and pray for your people in this congregation and in the churches around this country and around the world for peace. Father, help us to not be panicked and afraid, to help us to look, lift our eyes up and recognize that the, the return of the Lord, whom we, which we sang about today, is growing closer and closer. Help us to learn to set our priorities right and to examine our lives under the guidance of your Holy Spirit. And we turn our attention to what's going on in the Ukraine today and what's going on in our world. And first of all, we pray for the Ukraine, the Ukrainian people, those people that are suffering right now, the loss of their homes and their, their loved ones, those people that are being living in fear, the many that are trying to flee the country and get to other places of safety. We pray for your church that's in the Ukraine and those people that are there as missionaries who have been willing to lay their life down to bring the gospel into the, into the lives of people that you love so much. And we pray for peace. We pray, Father, for your protection. We pray, Father, for your grace and your strength, for the leadership in that nation, that you give them wisdom and peace and grace and understanding. Father, we pray for the believers that are in, in, in Russia, the people of Russia that now may suffer severe economic strain. We pray for them, Father. There are some mighty churches in Moscow and other places in, the, in, the, in, in Russia. And we pray, Father, this is a time when your church in Ukraine, your church around the world, your church in Russia will be strong and will rise up and be bold and will shine in the darkness and will be the salt in the earth. And we thank you for these things, Father. And we pray for our president and those that are in leadership and authority that have to make difficult decisions, Father. Whether we like them or don't like them, agree with or don't with them, you have told us to pray for them that your will will be done in their lives, that your kingdom may come into their lives and that they may be able to listen and hear the direction that you have for them. And we pray for our president and those that influence him and those that are in leadership that affect our lives, our governors, Rhode Island, Governor McGee and Governor Baker of Massachusetts, for the wisdom and the grace that they need. And Father, help us to put aside our fleshly and personal opinions and to begin to pray in accordance with your word and accordance with your will. And for the grace to do these things, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I know I've taken time from the message this morning, which is a very important message, but I believe that that was important to do. Praise the Lord. Well, last week we began a message I intended to do in one session, which we didn't get done all the way, got about halfway done. And it's based on Romans 8.28, and I'm going to have to go through this review quickly. Romans 8.28, a very famous verse that many people turn to for difficult times. It says, For we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. And so often we just quote the first half of that. For we know that all things work together for good. Just like some people say, well, everything happens, everything, everything that happens for a reason. Yeah, it does, but the reason is not always God's. 
I don't have time to get off on that. (laughs) But it's for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. And then we don't read the next verse, which says, For whom He foreknew, that's you, He also predestined, that means preplanned, to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Go back to verse 28. That's what you were called That's what his purpose for which he called you, which is that he might conform you to the image of Christ. When you received Christ, the Spirit of God came into you with one main mission. He has other responsibilities, but the main mission is to conform who you are on the inside, who you are on the outside, to the nothing less than the image of Christ. For God is at work in you, Philippians 2, both the will and to do His good pleasure. What's His good pleasure? To form Christ and you. And then we went to Matthew, the, the section of Scripture where Jesus begins His ministry and is teaching His disciples what this looks like. Matthew 5, verse, through chapter 5, verse 7. In Matthew 5, He starts out in verse, I think it's verse 13, and He says, You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, then it's of no good. So the church, the believers, you and me, are salt to this earth. Salt whets the appetite. It makes people thirsty. It makes people want more. And we use the example of potato chips and how hard it is to eat just one. And then he said, you are the light of the world. Well, we're living in a time where the darkness is growing darker and darker, so it ought to be easier for the light to shine because light is a contrast to the darkness. So we're here to influence the world that Jesus has placed us in, and He has put you and me, look at this, at this time for this purpose. So we're here. This is an amazing privilege that God would put us here at this particular time in history, because we're not here to survive, we're here to bring salt, the taste of salt, into a a world that's lost its thirst for God. And we're here to bring light into the darkness, but that light and that salt comes out of us. It doesn't come out of this building. And then Jesus began to talk about this in different ways. And each one of this is an example of the image of Christ, what He is like. And we're going to look at these quickly some of these quickly this morning. So we looked at uh, each of these as his nature. And we saw that he said in, in Matthew 5 that unless our righteousness, unless these things exceed that of the Pharisees, he's comparing the old law. The law was God judged you based on how you acted outwardly, and the problem is nobody could live up to that. And the New Testament, the standard gets higher because it's no longer how you act. It's the motive with which you act. It's coming out of your heart. But then the grace is there so that you can do that because in the Old Testament, God wasn't at work in them so that they could do those things. But in you, God's at work in you so you can, He can change the nature of you on the inside so you can begin to act that way on the outside. So He sets a standard here. He begins to set a standard here. And the standard is... We're going to see is in Matthew 5, verse 45. Let's go to that. 
Well, we, no, we, we, we talked about in verse 43, we talked about uh, 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 anger last week. And we says, Jesus said, you know, you've heard it said, you shall not be angry at your brother. And he says, but, but I say to you, whoever, whoever, you should not commit murder. But I say to you, whoever's angry at your brother has already committed murder. He said, how could that be? Because he's now talking about what's on the inside. Murder is a physical act on the outside where you do harm to another and take their life. But how can being angry in my heart be equated with murder? Well, first of all, if God says so, it must be so. If I don't agree with him, one of us is wrong. And my money's on him. Not being wrong, but on him being right. So we've got to adjust our thinking. All right, if being angry at my brother, and that means without resolving it. Because Ephesians 4 says, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on you without resolving your anger. So you may get angry at somebody, but you've got to resolve it now. It's a priority. Why? Because what is anger in its root? Anger is my desire to see harm done to that person I'm angry at. So although I might be physically killing him, what's in my heart is akin to that towards him, if I don't resolve that with him. And then God says this, he says, it, Jesus says this, he says, if, if you know you come to, you're coming to church to worship God and say, blessed be the name of the Lord our God and all these wonderful songs, but you've got something in your, your brother, you know your brother has something against you, not just you got something against him. Leave your gift at the altar and go resolve that first and then come and worship. In other words, your relationship with every people in your life is a direct reflection of your relationship with God. God's priority is your relationship with your brother before it's your relationship with him because in God's eyes they're equated. John says it this way in 1 John, how can you say you love, your, love God when you, don't, when you hate your brother whom God has made in his image? And he goes on, could, could have gone on to say, and for whom he gave his son's life. Okay, let's pick up with verse 45. Um, 43. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We're going we're to go to another level now. But I say to you, love your enemies. And, and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. There's so much in this verse. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now we're running against everything in our human nature. Because everything in our human nature does not want to... We may tolerate our enemies and think we're doing well. See, I'm not murdering him. I don't hate him. I'm not angry with him. That was the earlier one. But I'm not going to love him. Do you know what he said about me? Do you know what they did to me? Do you, we're talking your enemies. Love those who are your enemies. Bless. Now he's telling you to act. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those, this is even worse, who spitefully, that means they intentionally 
use you and persecute you. And I'm supposed to pray for them? I'm supposed to bless them? I'm supposed to do good to them? What is he talking about? Verse 45. That you may be... Oh, God set us up today. We sang, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. So that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. What's that about? He makes the sun to rise on evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Go back to verse 44. I say to you, love your enemies. Isn't that what God's done? Romans 5 says, we were all enemies of God. How could I be an enemy of God? Because you rejected Him. You didn't give Him the right place in your life. You didn't acknowledge Him as your Creator and submit your life to Him. You didn't live in, in instant obedience before Him. That's, being an, that's rejecting His authority over your life. And the Bible calls that rebellion. We all lived in rebellion against who God is. We all thought we had our own life and we had the right to our own rights. That's rebellion in God's eyes. That makes us His enemy. This is Romans chapter 5. This is Bible. And what did God do? For God so loved the world, even those who will never accept Christ, that He gave His only begotten Son. So when He says, I say love your enemies, why? Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. You can't do any better good than laying your son's life down, which is what he did. Now go to verse 45. That you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is raising the standard because he's saying, this is who you are. This is who I've made you to be. Now you need to act like that. The standard of who he's made us to be is so much higher than the church's normal standard because we use the world's standard. I felt the Lord speak to me during, as He often does, during praise and worship and said, tell them that this is the reason why many of their prayers aren't being answered. We think they're not connected. How can... And this is the reason why Satan has an open door into some of your lives. This is serious stuff, but we're living in serious times. We need to hear the truth. There's some of you, there's an open door to Satan in your life, and you're, how can all these things be happening to me? Where is God? Because when you're not doing this, when you're living in strife, when you hold things against other people, when you won't even, won't you love your enemy, you're acting like, Satan. That's not who you are, but you're acting like him. And how can you be resisting Satan when you're acting like him? It's not that God's angry. It's just a basic principle. I've got to move on.
Verse 46. <laughs> if, you love, if you just love those who love you, what reward have you? Don't the tax collectors do the same? Now that's, don't don't, you know, don't the, the, the un, unsaved do the same? And if you greet your brother only, why do you do more? What do you do you more than the others? Don't you don't even the tax collectors do that? In other words, you're just acting like the world. We think we love people, but we love people because they love us back. There's no different in the world. So Jesus is saying, no, if you're in me, if you're a Christian and I live in you, the standard that, that, that I am raising you to, now you're not there yet, I'm not there yet, but we've got to understand this is the goal he has. Because this is exactly what Christ did. He loved you and me enough to give his life for you and me. We sang about it this morning. While we were his enemy. He died on that cross with the religious leaders mocking him. If you're the son of God, come down off that cross. The Roman soldiers had just mocked him and spit on him. His own disciples left him except for one. And among his final words were, Father, (laughs) forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Why does he have a right to expect this of us? For two reasons. One, he did it for us. Why does he have a right to expect you to forgive, pray for, and be good to those who are are your enemies? Because he has done that for you. That you may be like your father who was in heaven. Romans chapter 2. How can we do this? How can we possibly do this, pastor? This is, this, is, this is beyond what's possible. That's right. It's not possible for you. But if you don't know that that's the standard, if you don't know that that's what's at God's goal at work in you, then you'll settle for being just like the world and you won't be salt. What makes, what makes this kind of love stand out and be salt, and this kind of love be light, because this is not the way normal people act. This is the way Christ acts. This is how his love is shown, but there's a greater power to it. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Verse 1 has already told us to make our bodies a living sacrifice, and then he says, do not be conformed to this world. In a few weeks, I'm going to begin a, a short series on renewing the mind, And it starts with this. This is what it's based on. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The word transformed there is the Greek word metamorphomai, which literally means, if you research it out, to take what's already on the inside and to bring it so it can be seen on the outside to take the real nature that you are on the inside and to allow that coming to the outside so that your life that other people can see may begin to display what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The word conform that we're not to do means a pressure from the outside trying to make you look on the outside like the mold that's pressuring you from the outside. So what this verse is telling us is that I can live this way because of who lives in me. 
Because if you've been born again, God's put His nature in you. If you're a child of God, it's because you were born of Him. His nature was born into you. You have His nature in you. That's what makes you His child. And He's given you His Spirit to enable you to do these things. So you have to start out by first of all realizing this is where God's goal is with me. So although I know I'm falling woefully short, I'm not going to be satisfied with where I am because God's at work. To, see, if, you don't, if you're not either, either cooperating with Him or you're fighting Him. And if you don't know this is what God's calling you to, you'll either ignore Him or you'll fight Him. to raise us to this standard. But God knows you can't do that in yourself. So He's given you His nature and then He's given you His own Spirit to enable you, empower you to do that. That's what Romans 8 is all about, which we don't have time to go through this morning. But I want to show you the power of this. Romans 12, verse 14. Here he says again the same thing. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be kind, the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on on high things, that's of this world, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Look at this. Repay no one. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. What does that mean? Believe the best about people. Even though you may not see it. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, listen to this. Do not avenge yourself. Everything in us wants to fight back. We read last week about, you know, turn the other cheek. And what that's all about is, is when Jesus raises that standard and says, don't strike back. If someone hits you on the right cheek, turn them, give them the left cheek. What's he saying? Because everything in our fallen nature is about self. I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to get back. And Jesus is saying, that's the whole problem is self. When he called his disciples, he said, come, follow me. But here's what you've got to do. You've got to deny self and take up your cross, and then you can follow me. Because to follow him, you're going to go where he went, which is he had to deny himself. He took up his cross in order to follow his father. Do not avenge yourself, nor give place to wrath. For it is written, this is what, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You You and I do not have a right to avenge ourselves. Because that's to put ourselves in God's place. And remember what you sow, you reap? So if you avenge yourself, I don't want God avenging himself with me. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. In doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. This is what I want you to get to. Do not... Be overcome by evil. This is verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is the whole point. This kind of love, this kind of love is a redemptive love. 
This kind of love is infinitely more powerful than anything Satan has done or can do. This is the kind of love that saved the world. For God so loved the world that he, instead of counting the world's sin against it, he paid with his own son's life for the sin of the world. So that he might redeem your life and my life. Romans 6 tells us, Jesus, we sang it this morning, Jesus on the cross defeated Satan's power over your life because his power was through sin in your life and Christ died and paid for your sin to free you from the power of Satan and from the power of that sin. So the power that has set you free only happened because, put that verse back up there, because Christ chose to overcome evil with love and not be overcome by evil. Now notice there's a choice here. You're either going to be overcome by evil, or you're going to overcome the evil with good. There's no neutral position. Because when that evil comes against you, whether it's a person striking out at you, or something bad, when evil comes against you, that is Satan's coming at you to see what you're going to do. And his goal is to get you to submit to the evil because then that evil will gain a stronghold in your life. Anger, strife, jealousy, envy, all of those things Satan brings to you through people. Some of them are the closest ones to you. Don't look to your left or right. And his goal is to say, what are you going to do with this evil that's been done to you? Because he does not want you acting like who you really are. He wants you reacting like the world, who you used to be, and reacting like the world reacts, because when you do that, you are not salt in this world, and you're not light in the darkness. And this is crucial now, because as the world gets darker, in order for Christ to do what He wants to do in this world, see, the church has struck out at issues. but not in this kind of love. And what happens? The world engages us back in these issues and we argue back and forth and protest back and forth. Is that what Jesus did? Did he protest the Roman God? That's what the disciples wanted him to do. Did he protest? No. Why? Because there is no redemption in protest. I'm not saying standing up for what's right. But if you don't do it in this kind of love, there's no power. This is where the power of God is released. Because this kind of love, this is what made Martin Luther's junior, King Jr.'s work so powerful. Because he didn't strike back. He stood up for what was right. He stood up for justice. He declared what was wrong. But when he put himself in a place where he had to lay his, literally lay his life down but he released the power of God's love into situations. Satan's whole goal is to get you to strike back. Because when you strike back, you've entered his territory. And realize this, if you're not overcoming evil with good, the evil will eventually overcome you. You. 
There's no neutral position. Romans 13, verse 8. By the way, the beginning of Romans 13 talks about submission to authority. I don't want to go off on that because we'll get distracted from what we're here to do this morning. Verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. I'm not going to get into whether you can borrow money or not. I think that's a side issue here from what he's really saying. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For what are the commandments? They say you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. All of this is out of the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, they're all summed up in this one saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you live in this kind of love, forget about the commandments, you'll automatically keep them. See, they told you what not to do, but they couldn't do it in love because that love had not been placed in their hearts. Romans 5, 5 says, For the love of God has been sown abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Love, verse 10, does no harm to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now down to verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. What does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? It means to act like who you are. You can't put on... I had... I picked this suit out yesterday and I put it on this morning. How could I do that? Because I already have it. So God can't tell you to put something on you don't already have. So Christ is in you. It's up to you whether you're going to put Him on, whether you're going to begin to act like Him. And the Spirit of God is in you to empower you and enable you to do that. I want to share this brief story which I've heard told not personally, but I've heard it, I've read it. Some of you may know who Corrie Ten Boom was. Corrie Ten Boom, along with her family, and when World War II began to break out and the Nazi Germany began to go into Holland, where they lived, and began to arrest and persecute the Jews, they began to hide them in their household. They built a little hidden room and were hiding them in their household. It's an amazing story. There's books written on, there's a book written on the hiding place and there's several movies that have been out on it. Amazing story. But eventually what happens after several years is, is they're told on and, and they get arrested. Her father, her sister, and Corey gets arrested. Father dies almost immediately and she and her sister end up in the same concentration camp. While they're in that same concentration camp, there's one guard who's particularly mean. And he takes out his anger on her sister who was weaker than she was and beats her and beats her and beats her until finally, after a period of time, she dies. And then after several years, it's an interesting story, Corey is miraculously released. She doesn't know why. She's called into the commander's office. She's given something and she's released and only a week or so later, all the other women were killed. And so she begins to feel a call of God to share this story of how God brought her through this terrible time to love her enemies to do good to those that were hurting her but she had an ultimate test she was in a meeting years later 
and she was preaching on the love of God and she was in the middle of her message and the door in the back opens up and she recognizes the man walking in the room as the guard who'd killed her sister. And hatred starts rising in her. She dismisses the service and she goes over and he comes right up to her. And he said, I've come up to ask your forgiveness. He said, since the war was over, and I remember all the details, I've met Christ. And he's come to live in me and I have confessed and faced what I've done. And I've come here to ask your forgiveness. There's a woman that's just preaching love. Here's a woman that's filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's a woman that is bringing many people to Christ. And she starts, she goes into this panic inside. She's she's looking at, I can't do that. I can't do that. I, I can't, this is too much. If you did it to me, this is what she's thinking. I could forgive you, but it's my sister who was helpless. I can't, I can't do that. And then she heard this inside of her. No, Cora, you can't. But I in you can. It's your choice. And at that moment she realized, no, I can't forgive you. But Christ in me already has. See, we've been raised in a culture that thinks that love is an emotion. All of our movies, entertainment is all about, you know, falling in love. The problem is if you fall in, you can fall out. It's all based on how I feel today. I can't tell you that the couples that have come to me when I did marriage, I don't feel like I love her anymore. I said, so what? What's that got to do with it? Did you make a vow or didn't you? What's that got to do with it? Well, to God, it's got a lot to do with it. And I struggled when we were getting married because I'd been raised in a home of details where love was used as a tool to manipulate and as a result, I have never had any confidence that I could love someone for the rest of my life. And so it was a struggle in the beginning. I was very insecure. I was trying to make her be what I needed her to be so that I could love her because I thought I can only love her if she's everything I need her to be. And she's wonderful, but she's only human. And of course, that just worked the opposite way. You put pressure on her. Until we got involved with a movement called Marriage Encounter. That was, I won't go into detail, but other people here were part of that. And in one of, the, one of the, the first series of meetings, I heard something that changed my life. And they taught this principle. Love is not an emotion. It may have emotions, but love is a decision. Love is an act of your will. If it were just an emotion, why could God, how could God command us to love people that are not lovable? This kind of love is an act of your will. You can decide to love your enemy. You can decide to love that person at work. Your boss. I know if you work here, that's not the problem. (laughs) But you can decide to love that nasty neighbor. Not because of anything about them, but because of who lives in you and how they love them. So that you may be like my father who is in heaven. For God is at work in you, whether you know it or not. 
both to will and to do his good pleasure. And what is his will? That you be conformed to the image of Christ. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live today in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul didn't have the strength to do this either. But he learned the secret. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So to how much are you letting Christ live in you today? How much are you allowing Christ's love live in you and through you? What you'll find is God will bring people across your path, and maybe he already has. And there are opportunities for you to make that choice. And you can choose, no, that person's done this to me. I don't like that person. So you can make that choice, but when you do that, you've chosen to push Christ aside in you. And you've lost your witness to the world. But if you'll choose, and you'll stumble, we all stumble in many ways. But if you'll commit to do that, because it's God who's working in you, God who's, this is his will for your life, and this is what he calls all things to work together for good for, so that we can, he can accomplish this will in our life. And if you'll just make the commitment today, God, I, I'm willing to, I'm willing to be willing. If you'll just make that commitment today and release him to do this work in you, he is faithful to do that. So I want to pray right now. I want to close, you close your eyes. Whatever God may be saying to you this morning, it's pretty obvious what God's saying to us. But if you've brought to your mind somebody, if someone's kind of come up in your heart, then why I want to use this moment to give each of us a chance to make this commitment. Maybe you've made it before, but, and you've failed at it. That's okay. You can make it again today. That's what grace is all about. And if you've never made it before, this is an opportunity, together with your brothers and sisters and those of you that are online, to make this commitment. What is that commitment again? It's God, I give you permission. I surrender. This is when we say, I surrender my life. This is what it means. I give you permission to work in my life. This kind of love that Christ may be formed in me by faith, that being rooted and grounded in love, we may come to know together with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding that we may be filled with all of your fullness. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that's already at work in us. So Father, listen to our hearts right now. Those that are making this commitment, give them the strength, the courage to make that commitment and recognize that you are the one that enables us to fulfill it. It's just our permission you need. For those that have made it and wandered away, we make it again. Father, thank you that the blood of Christ allows me to make this commitment again because you see the sincerity of our heart. God sees your heart and he takes you and meets you at the intent of your heart. 
no matter how many times you fail, he accepts the gift that you've given him today. Father, fill us with your spirit that we may be able to live this commitment out today, tomorrow, this week, and for whatever lies before us. For this we thank you in Jesus' name. One more thing I want to do. Today I've been talking to people that I am...